Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading plan. We also have the plan available on our website, Grove.Church. Listen, after being a podcast listener, I always wonder if those intros ever get old or annoying. Uh, And so I figure every now and then I'll chime in with something a little different, but uh, we're so glad you're joining us today. Uh, Thank you for being uh, part of our faithful audience. If this is your first time listening, glad you're listening as well. Thank you for that. Uh, We do like to take time at the end of every podcast as much as we're able to, uh, to answer questions. And my my part of this intro is inviting you to send those questions in to us. And so there's two ways to send questions. One is an email. Uh, The email address is info at grove.church. Uh, make sure to put in the subject line a podcast question, uh, or you can put a, a podcast question for the Bible gurus or whatever you want to call us, but really just make sure it says a podcast question. Uh, we like to have a little bit of fun with that. Or if you're on the Facebook, you can uh, direct message our Grove Church Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Washington State, and we'd love for you to send those questions in to us uh, so we can take time to answer them. So today's going to be a fun one. So For sure. Um, so that's called a... a, a what is it? Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Also, I was like, what is it called? So, as a, as Aaron said, we are the Grove Church in Marysville, Washington. Not. Yes, Washington And there was State. a new church this week. This week too? Riverside, we had one last week. Riverside, California apparently has a Grove oh, Church. And someone asked to hold a uh, a, tour- a tournament there. And they like messaged on the website. And I was like, okay, well, let's think about it. I was like, well, yeah, the, the rooms we used last year were great. We can just use those again. I was like, wait a second. Hold and up. Then, Pump the brakes. And then we figured it out. Man, our roots are just growing, bro. See what I did there? Grove yeah. Church roots. So many. All right. Well, this week kicks off a series. I didn't look up exactly how many weeks, but we're going to be talking about King David for- A long time. Yeah. It's the rest of 1 Samuel and a good- I think the rest of second, yeah, the rest of second, yeah, because it's kings, yeah. So the rest of second Samuel is also talking. About, I had to do that in my head really quick. We're gonna be talking about David for a while, yeah. and and you know for good reason. David is kind of the he's easily the most famous king of Israel, and he's one of, if not the greatest kings of Israel. Ooh. I think you could, I mean, you could. It's like was it Hezekiah, Asa, and Jeremiah? Not Jeremiah. Um, Josiah. <laughs> Jeremiah like, is a prophet, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the tier, right? That's and they were the, all Kings of Judah. They weren't even King, Kings over United Israel. So yeah. yeah. I mean, so that, you know, they're tier two. If you're talking, and here's the thing, really small sample size, but if you're talking Kings of United Israel, it's just Saul. David is top two. Let me tell you. Yeah, Saul, David, Solomon, and Rehoboam for five minutes. And <laughs> I think David's pretty easily top of the crop yeah. with that crowd. So Anyway, yeah, so the remainder of, we'll call it the first scroll of Samuel, because remember these were meant to be, you know, it's one continuous narrative. Uh, it's going to be concerned with the conflict between David and Saul. So Saul being, you know, the first king of Israel, and then David being the founder of the major dynasty of kings. And this will be the only dynasty that actually lasts all the way through, um, not necessarily over all of Israel, but from this point, David is going to launch a dynasty that's going to end with, uh, oh, I can't remember the last king of Judah, but you know, he doesn't, he doesn't matter anyways. Jehoiakim? Is that his name? Anyway. Uh, but it goes- I don't, I don't even know. I just like to harass you because you don't- The walking encyclopedia called Evan Westerfield Sorry, doesn't know. Uh, but it goes all the way to Jesus. So Jesus is a descendant of King David. It's true. So there you go. Spoilers, listeners. Sorry God, about that. You just ruined the Bible for me. Oh, I'm just kidding. No. The devil did. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just here for the comic relief, guys. So. All right. Thanks for listening. So we're going to kick off here. Uh, Yeah. In chapter 16, David is anointed as king of Israel. Samuel is sent to Bethlehem. Hey, that city's, uh, that's where Ruth and Boaz were. 
What? Huh. No way. Crazy. Uh, to the house of Jesse, he goes to sacrifice and he meets Jesse and his son. So Jesse, remember, is the grandson of Ruth and Boaz. So their son was Obed, then it's Jesse, and then it's David. Nope. Uh, so and we get this famous passage. So this is in 1 Samuel chapter 16. It says, when they came, he looked on Eliab, and that's David's oldest brother, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He's like, oh, like Samuel sees him. He's like, man, this guy, oh, oh he's nope, tall, not he's handsome. He's good. He's basically, and it's funny because Sam, we see Samuel falling into the same trap that the people fell into when they, when they anoint Saul as king. Cause yep. Saul was anointed cause he was like super tall. He looks like a king and Samuel's kind of like, oh, this guy, surely he is the Lord, uh, the Lord's chosen. Uh, but it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons uh, pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him for we will not sit down until he comes here. Quick side note. I feel like Jesse gets a little bit of a bad rap in the story because it's like, oh yeah, D Jesse didn't even like David. But it's like, no, like you would obviously not expect your youngest son just in that culture. Yeah. You would not expect your youngest son to be the one who is going to be getting the honor. Everyone, including Samuel, thought it was going to be um, Eliab. So. Yeah. And there's a really good, there's a really good possibility that uh, Jesse was even like, man, who's the one that can still watch the sheep? Because there's still work to be done. Right. And who's going to be least likely to, to have any consideration. Um so that's a big piece of it too. Yeah. Jesse was not low on on the view and value of David by any means. Yeah. The worst thing that we can accuse Jesse of is falling into the same trap that literally every other character yeah, in the story That I would fall into. under too. Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, anyway, sorry. So continuing, it says, and he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes. Hey. Just like me. David, just like just like both of us. Uh, My eyes are better. He had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Deuces. Yep. So there you go. Um, and I should say, obviously, we can't just read all of 1 Samuel. But when it says the spirit of the Lord rushes upon David, that is immediately followed with the story of the spirit of Yahweh departing from Saul. So those are, those are oh, very- Oh, snap. Those are connected. Um, and not only does the spirit of the Lord depart from Saul, um, it's replaced with a new harmful spirit. And I think sometimes, I don't know why, but I remember when I was a kid, I would learn that he was tormented by a demon. Um, but that is not the case. Yeah. Like this is very, like this isn't like- God departs from Saul and then the devil's like, aha, my, this is my chance. Like, I no, win. yeah, no, this, the spirit that torments Saul is doing God's will. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So it's, it's, it is one of those, we have this weird idea sometimes that, um, when we say that God's, God's will is always good, but that doesn't mean that it's always helpful to everyone, I guess, is the way I would phrase that. I don't yeah. know, but God can work against people and that's not against his character. Yeah. And I think sometimes we we can forget that. Well, I think we got to remember that we, we, we read from our own filter. We read from our own perspective and our own view of what we think is right and wrong. 
And and we're reminded in, in oftentimes in multiple different scenarios in scripture where God's like, your ways are not my ways, your thoughts are not my thoughts. And we have to at times submit and yield our our perspective and our understanding to to the we have to surrender it ultimately saying god you're sovereign i'm not mm-hmm. and i'm not going to fully comprehend and at the end of the day god was god was is always about one thing and it's about purpose and it's about his purpose glorifying his name and re- reconciling humanity to himself and and re- and making and bringing us to a point of of new we're, we're awaiting the day when there's a new jerusalem a new heaven new earth that sort of thing so so when we see things like, well, that's not like that, that's how can a good God be like that? Right. Well, you've got, you've got to understand he's the definition of good where we don't define good and, and make sure that we're, we're not restricting God to our, our finite understanding of, of what something means or what, uh, what character really is. Yeah. So he's the ultimate expression, the ultimate standard. No, that's a, it's a great reminder of the perspectives that we keep mm-hmm. and always making sure we're keeping as much as we can a heavenly perspective. It doesn't mean it's not uneasy. Like there's, there's moments where it doesn't, it's not uneasy. I mean, even right. there's the, I think of the, the Egyptians and the firstborn, the death of the firstborn. Right. Like that, that's not easy for me to swallow. That's not for easy for me to read. Like God, God sent an angel of, to, to kill off people, but it was to, for his purposes to prevail. So mm-hmm. um, it, it's just one of those things I think we got to keep in mind, especially as we read Old Testament, um, because there's a lot of things that we don't fully understand um, and we won't. And we just got to trust the sovereignty of God in that. So yep, total side note, but you're well, welcome. No, it works. Uh, eventually, so Saul's being tormented by this spirit. And so he brings in David because what? David plays the liar, which I will say I've been- <laughs> He plays the liar? So like, He's I, a liar. I know. So I was looking at that and I was like, I've always said liar, but I've never actually looked up how to pronounce it. So I was like, okay, just because I've been embarrassing myself with, pron- with pronunciations recently- I was like, I'm going to look this up and make sure. It is liar. So there you go. It's pronounced exactly. So David's a liar. Yep. No, I'm just so kidding. <laughs> he's, he's a liarist. A, li- a liarist. I don't know how you'd say that. Anyway, but yeah, when David plays, it's like in a liar, if you don't know, it's like a mini harp. Yeah. That's kind of what it looks like. So when he plays this, it's, it's a portable harp. That's yeah, what it is. It soothes Saul and the spirit kind of eases up on him a little bit. So David and Saul start having a relationship and it starts off as a fairly good relationship because David's the guy who helps out. Um, We'll see how that relationship goes. So eventually Israel and uh, Philistia or Philistia uh, would go to war. And this is the land of the Philistines, um, which is where we get, I mean, the most famous story of David. I almost put like maybe, but no, it's definitely David and Goliath is for sure the most famous story of David. Uh, And we see David's first great triumph, I would say. Um, this is really what starts his catalyst or what the catalyst toward his eventual mm-hmm. reign over Israel. Um, and we also see a picture as to why Yahweh has chosen him and not his older brothers to be king. So, uh, if, and we, I mean, I shouldn't say we all know the story, but a lot of us are going to know the story just from growing up. So, all of it, David's brothers are off to war. Saul and the armies of Israel are on one side of this valley. The Philistines are on this other, and they're kind of in this standoff. And every day there's a giant named Goliath who is taunting the Israelites. And essentially his whole point is like, hey, you know, we don't need to all fight and die. I'll fight one of you. And whichever one of us wins, that's it. We'll just call it good. Which, you know, bold move, Goliath. But, you know, when you're however tall, was he you're betting on tall? house money. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're going you're gonna to do pretty well. Um and I think what I what I think is really interesting about this story is that so we all know about Saul's failure because Saul should have had the courage to stand forward and fight and and know that Yahweh would be I guess Yahweh wouldn't have been with him but at least as the king this was his responsibility yeah either him or he would have had a, a 
one of his select, I mean, David has his mighty men. He would have had someone yeah. that would have been his right hand to do that. And he, he didn't have that. But, well, yeah, we'll, we'll get into my favorite of the mighty men who slayed a bunch of giants here in a little bit. But that's, that's later on, listeners, that's later on. Uh, but also, I, this is the first time I'd ever, I'd ever thought of it. You know who else was there who could have made this, who could have stepped forward and said, no, who is this Philistine who taunts us? I will stand with the Lord. Eliab. David's oldest brother. Mm -hmm. And I think here we're seeing why did God choose David over his brothers? And I think we see exactly why. Because also, not only did Saul not have the courage, his brothers didn't have the courage either. Yeah. Um, so anyway, David steps forward. He says, no, who is this guy? I'm going to fight him. He gets Saul's armor and Saul gives him a bunch of weapons. It doesn't really fit because remember, Saul is exceptionally tall. It weighs too heavy on David. And so David just goes out in normal clothes. He's not coming out with a sword. He's bringing his sling and he's it's the same sling he's used to protect his herds for a long time. Um, and if you don't know what a sling is, it's basically a long leather, think a long leather rope with a pouch in the middle and you twirl it and then you release it and you're flinging rocks yeah. and stuff. So you hold it in two different fingers. Yep. One end to anchor in the other one because you're going to release it and let it go. And it's a, uh, yeah, it's a whole, I mean, it gets the job done. It's it's definitely a high skill instrument, but it gets the job yeah, done. Absolutely. Uh, and so David, through the power of the Lord, kills Goliath and then, you know, beheads him. It's a whole thing. It's awesome. The Philistines are routed. And this really begins the, uh, the decline of Saul and David's relationship. So, and at first you would think, hey, thanks, David. You really did me a solid there. Well, and there's a whole song that comes out, which hit number one on the Israel billboards. That was uh, <laughs> Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. So that, that I think that was really the tipping point, right? <laughs> that, I mean, true. that was that was the. I mean, Saul had promised the to the victor his daughter in marriage, like. But I think there was this moment where all of a sudden Saul and his insecurity and and remember last week we talked pretty much in depth about Saul. Um, and we talked about his, his one big triumph and his one highlight, but he really was an insecure, uh, fearful leader. And so we saw this moment of this song being sung, David is, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is 10,000s. It's all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute, yep. I'm the king. And so there you saw this insecurity creep up. And so I do think it was it was building and building and building, and that became the tipping point is what I would say. But um, it, it definitely was a significant moment. And it's some, it's some there's some weird family dynamics that are going to come into play here um, because Saul and David, not really hitting it off, nope. um, but and, it, and but they're still but they're still working the same court, right? He's still playing the harp or the lyre. He's he's still playing those things to a, to a, a small portion of the time. Mm -hmm. Well, so David and Jonathan, and Jonathan is Saul's son, so he's heir to the throne. Become, I mean, incredible friends. The mm -hmm. friendship between David and Jonathan is is one of the most powerful stories yeah. in the Old Testament. Um, but remember, Aaron and Aaron brought this up. Saul had promised his daughter's hand in marriage to whoever. Um, Defeated Goliath. Exactly. So David, this happens. Uh, I didn't write down her name, but the Saul's oldest daughter is the one who, you know, theoretically would be the one to marry. But he marries her off to someone else right beforehand. Yep. Uh, but this works out because David really was, and we're, it's almost a repeat of the uh, the Jacob and Leah and Rachel a little bit. So um, because David actually was very much in love with the younger of the daughters, or at least the, I don't know if there was more than two, but the, the other sister. Uh, and her name was Michael. And so this is what we get in 1 Samuel 18. It says, now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him. That's 
that's great, Saul. Thank you. Oh, you're so generous. That she may be a snare Wait for a him. Minute. Oh, come on, Saul. And that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. So there you go. And so, I mean, luckily I have a great relationship with my father-in-law. I know you do too. This would be a real bummer. Thanks, John. Because, yeah, Saul, thanks, Glenn. Saul, not a fan <laughs> uh, of David. And so- um, Unless they set traps for us and we don't, we aren't aware of it. That's true. We're walking. We're, Wait a minute. We're no, walking I'm just into traps. Uh, and Saul commanded his servant, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's trying to be a little sneaky sneak. Um, but it should be pointed out, the relationship between David and Michael is real. So yeah. that's not like Michael's, I think sometimes... There's a really weird thing with Michael because in the list of David's wives, she doesn't show up later. And so the two ways you can interpret that are she loses complete favor with David and she's no longer listed among his wives. Um, But there's also, and I didn't know this before I started researching this, and this is from um, a lot of the rabbi scholars. One of the names of David's wives later is never brought up in other contexts, but it looks like more of a nickname. And so it might be actually that Michael was David's favorite of his wives and he began calling her by this. So interesting. And to me, I don't know, to me, that kind of makes a little bit more sense than the whole, but because yeah. If nothing else, it makes me feel better. True. I guess maybe I want (laughs) it to be true. Uh, But anyway, so David and Michael get married. And here's the other thing. This is what I was going to say too, because Michael never really does wrong by David. Like she is 100% like, no, I'm going to help you out. Um, So Sorry, I'm going to keep moving. So the, and the servants of Saul told him, thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, thus shall you say to David, the king desires no bride price except for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. Okay, gross. But I mean, I guess, you know, go kill a hundred Philistines, David. You could have just said that, Saul, but whatever. Uh, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hands of the Philistines. A trick that David's going to play a little bit later on a guy named Uriah. But Wait a that's, not, that's not for a while, listeners. Uh, but yeah, so David's like, Saul's like, essentially, I want you to go and do this task that seems impossible. I want you to kill a hundred Philistines. Much like, obviously, Aaron, as you know, um, Eluthingal, challenges Baron to go take a Cimmeril off the crown of Morgoth in order to marry Luthien, and his daughter. Yep, so I don't remember any of that. Obviously. You, I've watched you it, would but I don't remember that any from of the Cimmerillion. Nope, don't remember. Uh, anyway, sorry, listeners, that was just really nerdy. Uh, and so- <laughs> Yep, and, and if you could see me right now, you, you just kind of roll with the people. He's and, just shaking his and head. And you know this, if you're a regular listener, you know, you just kind of, okay, Evan, there it is. Anyway, in verse 26, it says, and when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men. And this is where we kind of get among the first mentions of his his bros, his mighty men who are awesome, and killed 200 of the Philistines. Yeah. Saul, you thought 100? How, how's 200 suit you? And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michael, for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to to battle. And as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul so that his name was highly esteemed. So, oh man. Yep. So the Philistines and Israelites are going to war and what's happening every time David gets his mighty men together, they go to battle and they're winning. And Saul is kind of, he's not really as popular. And so he's getting really upset about this. And David's just kind of, you know, 
He's living the life, man. He's living the life. Now, what we don't have here is what, how did how did David respond in these moments, right? I mean, true. The, the the best glass half full kind of perspective is he wasn't walking around with arrogance. He was walking around just trying to uphold and honor his king and fight for his king, his father in law. Like, and we see these different things play out in in when David is fleeing Saul, um, how he honors the position of the king. Um, but it's it's definitely you you see the the quick deterioration um, and recognition of of Saul's eventual demise is what it really comes down yeah. to. But uh, yeah, the family dynamics are crazy, um, and and just the simple fact that this whole like hey here's how to here's the dowry you have to pay for Saul uh, to Saul for for Michael, um, and David's like oh not a problem I got it like <laughs> yeah. nope okay hundred try try again Saul. How's how's a how's two? I'll double. I'll, I see that and I raise it. How's two bucks sound to you? So two bucks. A, a buck's not a hundred. I'm, I was trying to think of what the slang was for that, but my bad. Anyway, sorry. So eventually, Saul's angle bo- angle his anger boils over and mm-hmm. he attempts to murder David um, in separate situations. So first off, Jonathan warns David and he escapes, and then he comes back. Michael warns David and he escapes, and then Saul begins to plot again. So I think Saul is. He's pretty shocked that he can't trust his children. So, which, I mean, hey, good for them because yeah. they realize that their father is in the wrong. Uh, so I think he underestimates just how close Jonathan and David are as friends. And he also clearly thinks that Michael is going to be like his kind of spy for David. Yeah. When, no, like they're in love, like they're mm-hmm. husband and wife now. So bummer for Saul, good for the rest of us. <laughs> uh, and so Jonathan warns David and helps him to escape again. Uh, Saul doesn't take it super well. This is in 1 Samuel 20. It says, then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Okay. Well, wow, Thanks, Saul, that's a little jerky of that, you to say. But, that's my mom. Uh, and your wife, uh, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother, mother's nakedness? To be honest, I don't know what that metaphor is getting at, but That's what he says. Uh, For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Side note, what Saul says there is true. For Mm -hmm. as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, Jonathan's kingdom will not be established. Jonathan's the rightful heir. He is the rightful heir of the the throne, um, and and he is friends with David. And and I think that this is the one thing that's so remarkable about their, their very deep friendship. I mean, they would say that they loved each other. Um, and, and it was this deep, d- deep phileo love, this deep, intimate friendship that existed. So, um, but it, it was pretty significant. Jonathan, you see in this moment as he is helping defend David and protect David is he's, he's in essence, asserting to, to, to Saul and to the people, mm-hmm. David is the rightful heir. David is God's choice, not my choice. Um, and I think that's a big significant thing too. As a side note, uh, listeners, when Aaron says filial love, that means brotherly love. Yes. Which is why Philadelphia actually means the city of brotherly love. Even though they're not very. Yeah, loving. they don't act that way. So, and, I, and, I, and I say that to be, to be honest, like there's part of me that I've heard so many different times throughout my, my life that, you know, in, in different situations or whatever, that there was a, there's an allusion to um, a, a romantic love that existed between David and Jonathan. And uh, it was grounds for uh, justifying 
that kind of romantic relationship. And, and that's not the love that is being talked about. Like the love that they're expressing towards each other is this deep, affectionate, brotherly love. Right. It has nothing to do with romantic love whatsoever. Um, and so there's, there is a distinguish and I think is really important to make there only because we've got to be careful what we read into scripture. Um, when, when we, to really understand it is, is more important. So no, absolutely. Well, to continue on in verse 32, it says, then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. So Saul, Saul also could have just killed his own son. Here. Mm-hmm. He's very much in a rage. Uh, and Jonathan rose from the table, fierce in anger and ate no food for the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. Come on, Saul. All right. You're a jerk. Well, starting in chapter 21, David's going to be on the run for a little bit. So we see him and he takes, yeah, it, this is really going to be the case. There's a couple little reprieves, but this is mostly going to be the case until the death of Saul, which, mm-hmm. you know, spoilers, Saul's going to die at some point. What? Uh, he's not currently alive. Are you sure? So Just David, kidding. David even flees to Gath, which is a city of the Philistines. So it's right on the border. It's close, but it is kind of interesting that he leaves Israel for uh, Philistia. So, or, or Philistia. I don't know. I never know how to pronounce that one. Uh, and so his travels also take him to Adullam, Moab, and then eventually back to Judah in the forest of Hereth. So he kind of becomes a Robin Hood, a little bit of a figure there. That's kind of cool. And we also see that Saul orders the murder of a whole group of priests, which is, you know, that's not a good look. Not no, a good, not at all. Not a good deal. Um, and I think here's, here's what's interesting. We get this contrast between Saul as king and he continuously is falling down. And then we also see David rising up to yeah. that level of leadership. So we, again, so Saul mur- orders this murder of all these priests because they helped David. And then in chapter 23... We see that David actually saves the city of of Kila. And so mm-hmm. they are on the border with the Philistines. They're about to be destroyed. They reach out for help. And you would think that would be Saul's job, but Saul doesn't come right away. And so David arrives with his mighty men and they defeat the Philistines and he drives them out. So you see David doing this very kingly thing, this thing that would be, very, you know, it's, it's a a respectable thing for a king to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, however, the people of the city aren't that grateful because they are, they're willing to turn David over to Saul. So he has to, he has to run away again. So, okay. Not Thanks, a big jerks. Yeah. Not a, not a good look, but whatever. Uh, and then Saul continues to pursue David wanting nothing more than to kill his perceived enemy. And then chapter 24, we actually get two stories like this, but I'm going to read, I'm going to read this whole one really quick. Just I think it's really good. So in chapter 24, David shows his true character. It says, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel, out of all Israel, and went to seek David, his men, and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks, which is, you know, that's a, a rad title. That's a great name for a band and for a place. <laughs> uh, and he came to the sheepfolds by the way, and there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Awkward. Uh, and then the men of David said to him, here, I'm, I'm going to whisper because I'd imagine that's what they did. He goes, <laughs> here's the day of the Lord, which said to you, behold, I will give your enemy to your hand and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose. Then David arose and he stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe, which I mean, that is, that's some stealth to be able to, like, while a guy's, while a guy's relieving himself to be able to take a part of his jacket and cut it off and then shrink back. That's, you know, good Good sneaks. Yeah, right. That's some Assassin's Creed level sneaks. Now, begs the question, was he wearing the robe? I guess that's true. Because if he's relieving himself, I'm sure he he disrobed a bit. 
Oh, um, fine. That's probably so, true. Well, and I, I'd never thought about that till now because I always pictured like he cuts a corner off the one that's laying on the ground and he's behind them or whatever. But um, either way, it's still significant because the rope would not be far from Saul. True. Yeah. It's not like it's like still super ninja. Away. He's still a super ninja. Okay. okay. All right. Now I feel better. Uh, and afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the Lord's anointed to put my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul. And he said, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks you harm? Behold, this day, your eyes have seen the Lord gave you into my hands in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put my hand against my Lord for he is the Lord's anointed. See my father. No, again, Saul's David's father-in-law. Uh, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off a corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom had fled, the, after whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. May the Lord therefore judge and give sentence between me and you and see it to plead my case, my cause, and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I. I mean, that's that's just true. Yeah, right. Uh, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold... I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established on your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. Let's see if that happens a little bit later. Uh, and David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. All right. So, you, so there, Saul forgives David and they live kind of happily ever after until Saul dies. For the rest of Saul's life? Yeah. Uh, no, that's not true. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you, would think, you would think from that speech, because clearly Saul gets it at least a little bit. He's like, okay, the yeah. Lord has chosen you to be king. And he's basically just asking for mercy on his kids. Uh, but no, Saul, Saul keeps trying to kill David. So mm -hmm. we'll see that come up here in a little bit. Um, in chapter 25, Samuel dies. He's kind of given the footnote treatment. It just says one verse that Samuel died and he was buried. Um, but I, I put down, I suppose not hearing much about the end of the lives of the judges is a good thing. Because <laughs> anytime, anytime you get long stories about the end it's of the true. it's almost always bad. It's not good, yeah. So yeah, Samuel is the last, he's the last judge of Israel. And with that, that whole generation, that uh, not generation, multiple generations, that whole um, season of life for Israel has mm -hmm. now passed away. Yep. And now we're fully into the era of the kings. Uh, the rest of this chapter is the story of David's second wife, Abigail. So her husband, Nabal, insults David. So not, you know, not a real smart guy. Nope. Uh, but she begs for his life. So David's really mad. He's going to go kill Nabal. And then Abigail's like, hey, please, you know, 
please have mercy on yeah. my on my idiot husband. Uh, and so David listens and he's impressed. He's impressed with her integrity and her honor and the way that she's uh, risen up to stand for her husband in this. And so he spares. Uh, shortly however, after, however, <laughs> Nabal dies, uh, it seems like a coma of some sort. But basically, Abigail comes home, tells him what happened, and then he just falls over. And I think I think it's 10 days later he dies. So Yeah, it's pretty quick. Yep. And it seems like it seems like God's kind of doing David a solid here. I don't know, but that's that's what happens. Uh, so after his death, David marries Abigail. So there you go. He sends his servants and he's like, hey, you know, you want want to be my second wife? And Abigail's like, yeah, sure, sounds awesome. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds great. Because it, here's the deal, listeners. If there's one thing in the Old Testament that really works out well, it's having multiple wives. Yeah, that yes, never, Wait, no. Never leads to conflict, never leads to anything going south. So Wrong, false. Just a smart move on David's Don't part Don't believe here. Evan right now. <laughs> uh, and then he also marries uh, Ananoam from Jezreel. So yeah, he has three wives now. Now three. That's going to work out. Come on, man. It's going to work out super well. Man, I wonder if David's going to have any other wives. Anyway, uh, so in chapter 26, uh, we see a repeat of David's honor towards Saul. So this time, instead of it being in a cave, he stumbles upon their camp and they're all asleep. Uh, Super ninja skills again. Yep. Super ninja skills. He once again is able to kill Saul if he wanted to. And then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab, who is my personal favorite of David's mighty men. And I only know this because I don't know if you have this listeners, but when I was a kid, I felt like I had to pick a favorite everything. And so, you know, whatever group of things there was that way. Yeah. Like a favorite Ninja Turtle, a favorite character in Super Smash Brother, all these different things. And so I had like, you know, you read about David's mighty men and I was like, who's my favorite? Obviously Abishai, the son of Zeruya. That guy is sick. And we'll, we'll talk more about Abishai as he comes up. But this is one of my favorite lines. <laughs> one of my favorite lines. So it says, and David and Abishai went to the army by night and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear struck, stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner, Abner and the army lay around him. Abner is the general of Saul's army, by the mm-hmm. way. He's an important character. He's going to come up a lot. Uh, then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now, please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear and I will not strike him twice. What a great line. Just basically, I'm going to stick him to the ground. I won't even have, there's not going to be a second hit. One hit. Yep. This is done, David. Uh, and so David's like, no, Abishai, come on. We've talked about this. I'm not going to. And I, I do love that David is very clearly, he knows that he is chosen to be yeah. king. And he is not going to force it. He's not going to Macbeth this thing. He is going to wait for God to make the decision to overthrow Saul. And when that happens, David will rise, but he's not going to, yep. he's not going to rush God's promises, mm-hmm. which I think we've seen a lot in the Old Testament. That's a huge problem. I, but my, my mind immediately jumps to Abraham where he's promised a son. It's not happening right away. And so he's going to rush it. He's going to yep. have a, a child with Hagar instead. And that goes really south. Um, we're going to kind of see, I wonder, obviously we don't know, but I'd imagine it would have gone really south if David had actually taken the opportunity to kill Saul instead of waiting for the Lord to do it. So there you go. David spares Saul again, and he rebukes Abner for failing to protect the king, which, you know, yeah, come on, Abner. <laughs> like you're not going to have any guards up. What's happening here? Uh, when Saul is spared a second time, he gets a little prophetic again. So Saul says, uh, and this is in chapter 26, I have sinned that's a hip accurate, uh, Good ret- job. return my son, David, for I will no more do you harm because my life was precious in your eyes. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. I wouldn't trust that David because he sounded like this before. Uh, and David answered and said, here is the spear. O King, let one of the young men come over and take it. 
The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put my out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and that he may deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. Then David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. And that, listeners, is where we are going to leave the story of David and Saul for this week. Well, before we jump into the Psalms, we would like to remind you, beloved listeners, dear listeners, don't forget to leave us a five-star review. If Listen, you, you know yet. there's an agenda when when we use the word beloved Belov- listener. Uh, listeners, my you friends, are. my family, please <laughs> help me out. No, I'm just kidding. But anyways, if you're listening on, especially Apple Podcasts and Spotify, um, the reviews really, really help. So leave a written one if you can. If not, just give us the five stars. But it helps get that podcast out there to, to more people um, and we can continue to grow this community of people listening to the Bible together. So it's been really fun uh, to see it grow. We want to see it continue to do that. Yeah, so we'd love for that review to be left by you today. So feel free to jump on and do that, even if you got to push pause on the podcast. Uh, But we are, as Evan said, we're continuing in the book of Psalms. But before we jump in, I do think it's really kind of fun to highlight for a moment uh, just this theme that we're going to see. I told Evan right before we started recording uh, today that uh, we're pretty much spending our entire time in the book of 1 Samuel uh, and looking at it from a glimpse in the book of Psalms as well, because we're going to see a lot of the Psalms we read this week will uh, have its place found in actually the book of 1 Samuel uh, through many of the chapters we read today. So that's part of the, the thing that I like about this plan, the intentionality behind some of these Psalms. Um, and so the other side too is I, I just really appreciate with the Psalms, the insight it gives us in in the lament of David, the the crying out for David. And I think sometimes it's really easy to read these stories that we're going to read about David, about how he responded, uh, and just see him, see him as like this incredible man of integrity, this incredible man of honor. Uh, and we forget the humanity that David actually walked in, the despair, right. the, the confusion, the hurt, the disappointment, the trust, uh, all of these different things we see. And we'll, we'll be able to get to see in, in the combination of 1 Samuel and Psalms in our reading this week. And so I thought it was really cool to be able to, to stop and think for a second and just reflect on... Um, at the end of the day, what David is facing is very, 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 very big. It's very, very dangerous. His life is on is on the line, and and he's crying out to God. We're going to see that in the Book of Psalms, um, but he also has this deep, profound trust and confidence in who God is and what He's capable of doing. So we're going to see that throughout the Psalms. Uh, and so, as usual, when we take time to highlight the Psalms we're reading this week, uh, we go in chronological order of our reading plan, not in the actual numbered Psalms chronology. So. Uh, what I mean by that is we're going to start in, in Psalm 59 because that's the first Psalm we're reading this week. Then we're going to jump to 17. So if you know anything about numbers, it doesn't go 59, 17. It, 17 comes way before 59. So a little math lesson for you, for all my math friends. See here, I had no idea. So I, thanks, thanks for You're welcome, bro. I got you. So, um, and so I'm just going to kind of quickly highlight and work through the Psalms. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on Psalm 52 that I think is really kind of fun uh, and just kind of read through and have a little bit of insight. But Psalm 59, we see as an individual lament. Uh, this Psalm has the theme and the, the focus of seeking God's protection from enemies who threaten a pious person's life. Um, but it's directly connected to Psalm 19 verse 11, uh, where we see David escape Saul's men through a window. Um, and so as you read Psalm 59, 
you'll be able to see the connection to Psalm 1911, where where David's response to that moment is written down in Psalm 59. Uh, We see Psalm 57, which would be the next one, is also an individual lament. uh, But this one's geared toward uh, cases in which a person suffering considers himself unjustly accused of wrong by a worldly enemy. In other words, it's like David seeing himself, I'm unjustly accused of wrong by Saul, who is missing the boat. Um, and even as through some of the, the Psalms that we've read and some of the reflections of the, of the conversations, uh, we see David crying out to Saul saying, I'm, I'm not doing anything to harm you, and yet you're coming at me. Uh, so we see in Psalm 17, this, this prayer, uh, prayer for vindication. Um, and then at the end, it's going to express confidence uh, in the true portion of God's faithful provision. Um, Psalm 64 uh, is also an individual lament. It has two parts. One requests uh, help against the deadly, the deadly schemes. Uh, and the second part is a confident expectation God will fight on behalf of his faithful people. Um, this Psalms will, the Psalm will, will see presenting God's purpose for victory as an instruction for mankind, uh, but also in bringing joy to the godly. Um, and so we see that piece uh, from David, the picture of lament, but uh, asking for help, but also trusting in God's faithful uh, work on his behalf. Continue to Psalm 52, which is where I want to spend a little bit of time today. Um, and this is going to, in essence, as we're reading it and, and trying to modernize it, not the, the context, but the bring it to application for our lives today, we'll see that it will actually help us develop trust and confidence in God's care and protection, uh, especially when we feel surrounded by enemies. Um, it is connected to Psalm 1 or Psalm 1 Samuel, sorry, 21, uh, where David is fleeing Saul uh, and this massacre that Evan, you alluded to earlier of these priests of Nob uh, for helping David. Uh, and, and I want to read this, uh, kind of break a, read us through 1 Samuel 21, 22 to give us a little bit of context. And then I want to read Psalm 52, because this is going to be this humanity that we get to see David reflect in the midst of a real life situation. So my hope is to be able to kind of not just put in context, but, but draw a little bit depth, uh, draw a little bit more depth out of it. And so 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 7, it says, David went to the priest Ahimelech at Nob. Ahimelech was afraid to meet David, so he said to him, why are you alone and no one is with you? Now, Ahimelech is, uh, he serves the king. The king still has authority. He understands David. Uh, there's this, this, this fight going on, uh, but he doesn't know that there's a lot uh, of dysfunction that's starting to happen between David and, and, and Saul. And so David, and being asked this question, because it's not normal for one of the king's men to just show up out of nowhere, unannounced or un, without any servant going ahead of him. Uh, and so he's like, why are you here? Uh, and so David answered in verse two, the priest of Elimelech, the king gave me a mission, but he told me, don't let anyone know anything about the mission I'm sending you on or what I've ordered you to do. I've stationed my young men at a certain place is what he tells Elimelech. Verse three, what do you have on hand? David's response Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest told him there are no or, there is no ordinary bread on hand. However, there is the consecrated bread, but the young man, <coughs> excuse me, can only eat uh, if they have kept themselves from women. David answered, I swear that the women are being kept from us as always when I go out to battle. The young men's bodies are consecrated even on an ordinary mission. So, of course, their bodies are consecrated today. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread for there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from the presence of the Lord. When the bread was removed, it had been replaced with warm bread. Uh, so in other words, this is bread that is supposed to be replaced from priestly duties. Uh, it rec- re- represents God's presence and his provision. Uh, and so when the bread is is old, it gets removed and new b- bread is replaced. So this is the bread that is allowed to be eaten uh, in place of it. There's a lot of nuances there we're not going to get into. Jesus brings it up in the Gospels too. This he does. Story. 
So we see Saul's servants in verse 7, detained before the Lord was there, then his, his name was Doeg, the Edomite, chief of Saul's shepherds. Uh, so we fast forward to 1 Samuel 22. This is happening. Remember, David is fleeing. He's hiding. He goes to Ahimelech. He lies to Ahimelech. Uh, and Doeg, the Edomite, is there, and he knows something's going on. Uh, so it says this in 1 Samuel 22, verses 9 and 10. It says, Then Doeg, the Edomite, who was in charge of Saul's servants, answered, I saw Jesse's son come to Ahimelech, son of Ahiatup at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord, for him and gave him provisions. He also gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistines. So we see this moment where Doeg goes back to Saul with the, as a shepherd and he outs David. I know where David is. And not only do I know that, but Elimelech helped him and gave him bread and gave him the sword of Goliath. So then you fast forward a little bit in chapter 22, verses 17 to 23 says this, then the king ordered the guards standing by him, turn and kill the priests. So at this point, Saul brought his men to the city of the place of Nob, confronted Ahimelech, and then because of their help, he then orders them to be killed. And he says this, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because they sided with David, for they knew he was fleeing, but they didn't tell me. Side note, he, they didn't know he was fleeing at this moment because David lied to him. Yeah. But the king's servants would not let the hand to execute the priests or, of the Lord. Which so, you know, like- Which is good. Yeah, good, good on you, sir. Well done. <laughs> Uh, so the king said to Doeg, go and execute the priests. Doeg is a shepherd. <laughs> he says, go kill the priests. So Doeg the Edomite went and executed the priests himself. On that day, he killed 85 men who wore linen ephods. He also struck down Nob, the city of priests, with the sword, both men and women, infants and nursing babies, oxen, donkeys, and sheep. However, one of the sons of Helamek, son of Ahiatab, escaped. His name was Abi Abiathar, and he fled to David. So David was already gone at this point. And we'll read that in 1 Samuel a bit. But Abiathar told David that Saul killed the priest of the Lord. In verse 22, then David said to Abiathar, I knew that Doeg the Edomite was there that day and that he was sure to report to Saul. I myself am responsible for the lives of everyone in your father's family. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. For the one who wants to take my life wants to take your life. You will be safe with me. So this is the context of what's going on. Saul is pursuing David still. He, David finds refuge for a moment, provisions from Ahimelech. He lies to him uh, and he's given bread for him and his men. He's given a sword to now defend himself. He was, he didn't have anything mm -hmm. and he was provided for Doeg, the Edomite, outs him, reports to Saul, hey, it's Ahimelech's fault. Uh, they had provisions, so now he's going to be able to last longer running away from you. He now has a sword of Goliath to fight himself. And in the context, there's no sword created like Goliath's. So all of a sudden, Saul's irate. He goes and has these people killed. Uh, Abiathar is, he runs to David as the only survivor and explains to him. And then we get this psalm, Psalm 52. And this is his, Psalm, David's response to everything that he was just told. It says, Why boast about evil, you hero? God's faithful love is constant. Like a sharpened razor, your tongue devises destruction, working treachery. You love evil instead of good, lying instead of speaking truthfully. Selah. And whenever you read the word Selah, just so you know, it's not just the name of a child, which I know a couple of kids named Selah, oh, yeah. but it's actually also an intent, uh, an intended moment to pause. It's it, when, when the song is being sung, it's meant to have a moment of breath, a moment of pause. It's, so that way you don't just Selah, your love any words. No, it's Selah. You stop and reflect on what was just said and then continue on. It's almost like a, it's like a, almost like a break. Uh, stands a break and says this in verse four, you, you love any words that destroy you treacherous tongue. 
This is why God will bring you down forever. He will take you, ripping you out of your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. The righteous will see and fear, and they will derisively say about the, that hero, Here is a man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, taking refuge in his destructive behavior. But I am like a flourishing olive tree in the house of God. I trust in God's faithful love forever and ever. I will praise you forever for what you have done. In the presence of your faithful people, I will put my hope in your name, for it is good. And so we see David's response is is. Is one out of he, he's he's point blank looking at the evil. It says, "Why are you so evil, you stupid guy?" Yeah, you could <laughs> Aaron, say that. Aaron's paraphrase. You could say that Doeg is a real doorknob. Yeah, exactly. Because of the we're just gonna call him doorknob because it's knob. That's a good one. Well done. I actually didn't pick up on that until you said it. So good job. I try. I wouldn't have laughed if you didn't say it. So <laughs> uh, um, funny. Anyways, uh, so we see so we see David's response. He. He's angry at the fact, and he even takes responsibility from the, the Samuel, first Samuel portion where he's talking to Abiathar. But we see this at the end of the day. David is, is running for his life. He's trying to preserve his life. He knows he's not, he's not doing wrong, but we see this humanity in this moment of, of call out. He's calling out the individual, and at the end of the day, he's like, my hope is going to be in God. My hope is not in your ability to provide or protect. My hope is in God. And I just love this human moment where you have a very real life situation that happened for David and you see his response. And all throughout the Psalms, as you read them, you're going to see the connection points. And I'm going to give you different points where some of these Psalms are directly connected to, to the section of First Samuel. And I want to encourage you as you read those passages to stop and just reflect on the humanity of David and, and the reality of the situation, because the hope that I gained from these, these Psalms this week is is that no matter circumstance, no matter, you know, dare I say it this way, come hell or high water, like my hope is in the Lord. Like our hope is meant to be in Christ alone. It's meant to be in the provision and and, and a good father who's sovereign. Uh, and I love that the, the Psalms this week will remind us of that as it connects back to the story of David uh, as him and Saul going, you know, duking out, so to speak. But really, David's trying to honor the king's anointed. So the Lord's anointed. Um, so that so that we see this this tension this picture in Psalm fifty two in contrast to Psalm twenty one and twenty two, uh, and so the, I just love being able to do that. Uh, continuing on in the Psalms this week, we're also going to read in Psalm thirty one, uh, and this is a lament that seeks God's help for a faithful person worn out uh, and weary from constant trouble uh, and besieged by enemies who want to do them harm. Uh, so it's going to give us some context and ability to to cry out to God in the midst of these things. Uh, Psalm fifty four we see is is this individual lament asking for God's help against those who threaten the lives of God's faithful people. Um, and this one is connected to Psalm or First Samuel twenty three nineteen, where we see the Ziphites inform Saul where David was hiding. Uh, and so David again is having to call out for God's help against those against Saul and his men who are threatening uh, threatening his life. Psalm 57 this week will, is, is an individual lament based on uh, an event in David's life. Go figure. Uh, it's connected to 1 Samuel 22 or 24. It kind of can go both ways. Um, there's also another psalm connected to the other one. So, so 1 Samuel 22 and 24 connected to Psalm 57. And I don't remember the other psalm off the top of my head. I'm sorry. 113 maybe. Um, but I'm not smart enough to like so I don't, I don't remember either. So, but th- this psalm is directly connected to either one of these situations, um, and it rises from Saul's persecution of David. Uh, you'll find this cheerful strain that David has in the midst of danger uh, in the words that David writes, uh, which in turn for you and I, as we read, or some of us even sing the psalm, uh, we can al- align with David's anticipation of God's provision and vindication. 
Uh, Psalm 58 this week, a song uh, for God's people to sing when they're confronted with injustice among their own rulers, uh, which marks it as a community lament. So everybody sings and laments together. Um, Singing this in worship helps us to pray more earnestly for godly leadership, and then in turn also forms within the leaders of that community a true moral compass for their own leadership. I think this is probably a psalm we can probably be singing and and praying together as a community uh, nationwide. We need more uh, godly leadership, and I'm not. This is not a shot at a president. This is a shot at everybody in positions of authority. Uh, we need godly leadership in our country. So it's a really great psalm that you can read together and we can pray together this week through. Uh, It also celebrates just so you know that God will vindicate his justice in the world uh, and and those who rejoice in him, uh, those who trust in him will rejoice uh, abundantly. Uh, Psalm 63 uh, is the second to last psalm we're going to read this week. It opens up as if it were a lament, uh, but the flow is actually one of a confident expectation. uh, And the psalm can be used as a way to develop our confidence in God in the midst of trouble uh, or difficult times. And then finally, we're going to read Psalm 7 this week, which is an individual lament from David. Uh, And the title refers to an otherwise unknown incident in his life when a man of Benjamin slandered David. Uh, There's not a lot of context to it directly, but it is, it does talk about, uh, implies a situation that happens in David's life. Um, So for someone who's unfairly criticized or persecuted, uh, this Psalm gives a way for us to pray and seek the Lord's provision and faithfulness in that. Uh, and so I just love the, the picture of Psalms that in the midst of everything David faces, you see him crying out to God and you see him being honest with God. And I, I think we've said this before, uh, but I just love that the Psalms helps us have legitimate ways to pray in the midst of some very big circumstances. But uh, I just love this week that we get to see it in connection to the first Samuel's readings this week as well. And so, uh, but that's, that's kind of where we're going with first Psalms or the first Psalms, where we're going with Psalms this week. Uh, and so uh, I look forward to, to you and I reading together. It's it's a it's a time for Psalms because so many of them are written by David and it's we're true. finally going through David's life. So well before we wrap up, listeners, we did have a question come in. A bit of a heavy question. Yeah, this is so, a, this is a I say a fun one because it it has evoked quite a bit of conversation between Evan and I. That's true. So let's go ahead and read and then we will discuss. So it says, Hi, I've been uh, recently listening to you guys' podcast. I'm really enjoying it. Well, thank you. Thanks. And did you leave a review? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, recently, I've become good friends with a guy who was previously married when he was younger. This was before he had come to Christ. Uh, he was very young and divorced her simply because he wanted to see what else was out there. She got remarried and he ended up coming to Christ and getting baptized in 2020. Uh, he struggles with the idea of remarriage. I believe when he got baptized, he became a new creature in Christ, and therefore his marriage slash divorce is wiped clean, giving him the chance to marry a godly woman, if that's his desire, which it is. But there are many scriptures in the Bible that state against remarriage, considering an adultery. He feels that he can never marry. I disagree, but I must admit there are quite a few verses that state against remarriage. What are your thoughts? Would really love your guys' input and feedback based off of the Bible. Okay, so that's a fun question. Yep. So a couple ground rules, I suppose. Um, number one, for and it's weird because we're not. It's not this guy writing in. It's someone yeah. else writing on his behalf. So to which is totally great, by the yeah. way. Like the, by all means, we want to answer questions. Um, but I would say f- first off, this is for sure something that he needs to talk with his pastor about because without having all of the information, it's it's me and me and so for instance, me and Aaron today are not going to land on. This is what you specifically should do. Yeah. We're kind of going to talk about the idea of biblical divorce and remarriage and where those are kind of at. And then we'll, we'll give a little bit of our thoughts on the situation, but I think you shouldn't take our advice. Yeah, apart completely. from, I mean, long, the long and the short of it is apart from actually sitting down and having a conversation to navigate all of the nuances, because there's a lot in this question. There's a lot of 
of of Reader's Digest story, which is fine. Um, but if I'm not able to sit down, if Evan's not able to sit down and actually dialogue about what's going on here, we can't speak specifically to whether or not he should get or can get remarried. Right. Um, and so we're, we're going to opt out of that answering that direct question, not because we don't want to, but because there's more to the context and conversation that has to be had in order for us to speak biblically and intelligently to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's, it's kind of it's not a cop out by any means, but I I would agree. I think it's it's worth sitting down and processing through all of the nuances with a pastor um, to really navigate um, the the that that for lack of a better way to put it, that context specifically. So, yep. so we are gonna so yeah. So let's talk about marriage and divorce and remarriage because that is a bit of a it's a bit of a hot topic and something that particularly the New Testament and Paul with his letters and even Jesus in the Gospels they address it quite a few times. So, um. Also, really helpful resource on this that we found, or at least I found when I was researching through this, is the Gospel Coalition. I love almost all their stuff that they put out. They're re- yeah, they they're do a really re- good job. They're really good. Um, but they have quite a few articles and even some sermons and some lessons on this. So if you want to dive a little bit deeper into this topic, they are really good. Um, okay. So as far as marriage, we know that marriage is ordained by God. And divorce, one of the notes that they had that I think is actually really helpful to look at is divorce always stems from sin. But it is not necessarily always sinful. But the the only reason to get divorced is because of either sin of one partner or the other, or um, the divorce itself was an act of sin. In other words, it was not a biblically grounded divorce. Um, and it's yeah, it's also never commanded, which I think is a really important thing as well. And this is, I think, particularly true of believers to to remember. Where exceptions are made for divorce, that does not necessarily mean that it is saying, now go get divorced. It's Mm -hmm. saying, if this is happening to you, you are free to pursue this if that's what you want to do. Um, As pastors, we would pretty much always recommend reconciliation uh, before we even started talking about divorce. So when we get married, it is a covenant that we make with another person for life. There are a few exceptions that are laid out um, specifically for the ending of a marriage in a biblical way. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are... It's um, sexual immorality on behalf of the other person. And so most often this would be adultery, but there's a few other things that could fall under that category. If one partner has engaged in sexual immorality, and I would say even probably unrepentant sexual immorality, then the other person is allowed to biblically divorce. The other grounds would be, um, and this is something that Paul makes a way for, is when there's an unbeliever or when there's a spouse who comes to know Christ and their spouse wants to leave the marriage because of their faith. Paul says essentially, don't feel like you can never get remarried. At that point, when your partner has deserted you, then therefore you are the, the marriage has now ended and you are free to get remarried. So, and then I think this is, this is also just a really important point. Um, I think divorce is, is forgivable. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think some, sometimes there's, there's certain interesting taboo sins, I guess, that we have as a society. We're like, when we lie, it's pretty easy for we think like, okay, well, God, God will forgive me for that or whatever it is. But I think there's some that for whatever reason, we just carry this guilt and shame yeah. for a long time. And so I do think it's important to say that God forgives all sin. And so even, even if the divorce that happened was a sinful divorce, that does not mean that you are beyond uh, the realm of forgiveness. So for me, and this is where me and Aaron kind of disagree a little bit, we agree on the the basic outcomes, I suppose, of the situation. But for me, I would say with with this particular situation, and again, this is without having all the details, yeah. so don't like fully fully yeah. take this. But I, I would say that 
the divorce itself was sinful. And I think that it would probably be a healthy thing um, to seek, not necessarily the reconciliation of the spouse because she has since remarried. So you're not going to ask her to leave her marriage and come back. Yeah. Um, but I do think asking for forgiveness is a healthy thing because that was, that was a sinful thing to do. Um, I also think that the marriage can be declared as biblically over just because there was sexual immorality that happened after the point of the leaving. So even if at the point of leaving, the marriage wasn't necessarily over, there is now grounds to say that that part of life is, or that that marriage can be declared having ended because both partners, I would imagine, have engaged in sexual immorality since Yeah, big then. assumption there, but- Big assumption, but- I mean, it's, I think it's fair based upon the limited information we have. So yep. if we're wrong, by all means, you're welcome to, to write back in and let us know. And so, again, this is why we would say, talk with your pastor yeah. about this. Because there's nuances to it, yeah. Um, and then finally, I, I would say that, so c- coming out of it, I, I would say, and, and this is something me and Aaron both agree on here, that this person is probably free to remarry. Um, but there's a couple things I do, I do want to kind of give a caveat. I think one of the weird things that we have, and, and I'm not saying this is the result here, but I do think that, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, I believe, but there's, a, there's an interesting pendulum swing that's happened with Christian doctrine, where when you look back to, especially like medieval times, but you can even bring it forward, and, and, and it's still really prevalent in the Catholic Church, where there's this um, requirement of celibacy for certain things. And, and I would say, especially in the past, celibacy as being declared as objectively better than marriage and family. And I think... As modern Protestants, we've kind of rejected that, but we've swung so far the other way into marriage and family glorifying God that we kind of view celibacy as this weird thing and that it's not something that, well, God might call a few people to that, but not really. That's kind of a weird thing to do. Um, I think the right answer there is a balance. And I think that there's there's wonderful things about marriage and marriage glorifies God, but there's also things that are wonderful about living a life of celibacy, living yeah. a life of not getting married. So for instance, me and Aaron have friends uh, we have a friend. Who, we do have friends. People, we have friends. So you know. <laughs> uh, but no, we have we have a friend who went through a divorce, and she feels that God is calling her, um, particularly in this season, to live celibately, to not pursue remarriage, and to f- pursue ministry full time. And that's the thing where I think with with me with marriage, marriage has made me a better man, and Aaron can attest to that. Um, but my, well, but my, no, just kidding. Totally, my, absolutely, hundred percent agree. My wife, um, my wife brings out the best in me, and I'm able to see. Um, a picture of God's love for the church mm-hmm. through the love that me and my wife share. And so it has been very good. Um, at the same time though, there are sacrifices you make in marriage. And so I remember when I was when I was single and I was a, a youth leader under, under Aaron, um, I could at any point just be like, hey, I'm just gonna go grab a group, a group of guys. We're gonna go hang out and we're gonna study the Bible a little bit and I'm just gonna invest into them. When you're married and you have a family, particularly when you have kids, Aaron, I'm sure you can speak into this, but that- Oh, it's easier. No, I'm yeah, just kidding. Yeah, totally you, kidding. You have to, and this is a right thing. You have to prioritize your family. You have to lead your yeah. family well, which means there's less time to be able to do certain ministry things. Whereas when you're single or when you are um, not in marriage, you have a lot of freedom to be able to fully pursue yeah. those things. So, and that's what I'm saying. There's good to both and there's sacrifices to both. Mm-hmm. And one is not better than the other. God calls some people to, maybe perhaps God is asking you to live a life of celibacy. Perhaps God is asking you to live a life of marriage and family. Um, and I think it's really important that we don't demonize one over the other. I say all that to say for people who have been divorced and remarried, sometimes it can be 
I know this is what I should want, but I don't necessarily want that. And that's where I just kind of say, perhaps, you know, pray, seek the Holy Spirit about it, but maybe that is what God is kind of calling you to. So really roundabout way of answering that question. Aaron, I don't know if you have anything you want to add there. I think this is, I mean, let's just, let's just be honest for a second. Like this is where, you know, Evan and I, we wrestle and there's a lot to this conversation and it's really hard to answer directly what we should or should not do. And I think um, very, very simply, I think we have to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit is telling us. And and I would caution, I don't, and you may have said this and I may have missed it or whatever, but I, I would absolutely caution any one of us that has a friend that is processing through conviction, that is processing through what they sense or feel the Holy Spirit is saying to them in this time to, to not be, to not be an influencer of their decision, to be yep. obedient or not, if that makes sense. Very, very simple uh, way that I can explain this is when Cassie and I, my wife and I were dating, well, not even when we were dating, we were still friends at this point. I, I had really good, I had really strong feelings for her, but she didn't want a boyfriend. Long story short, I remember saying something to her as a ministry position opened up at the campus that we were a part of on call, in, in college. I remember you know, trying to influence her to pursue uh, leading a ministry on campus that I thought she would be really great at. And, but part of it was selfish. Like I wanted, I wanted to be able to see, I told you, you could do it. And I didn't know that in the moment, but the Holy spirit revealed that to me pretty quickly. And I remember coming home from work one day and just t texting her, seeing if she was, you know, at her apartment. And if I could come say hi to her for a second with her roommates and she was doing work. And so I just remember swinging in after work one night and said, Hey, I just, I just need to apologize because I need you to be obedient to what God has called you to not for you to do what I think you should do. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I know it's a very simple, you know, very, you know, it doesn't even correlate to a degree, but I, I want to caution us to think we know what's best for someone else when we're not the Holy spirit. And, and I say that with no, ju no judgment or like pointed fingers. I just want to caution in this moment. Like there is a, a desire we have to see people. And this is what I wrestle with. I want to see people live in the fullness of what God has intended for them. I want to see people operate in grace. I don't want to see people holding themselves back because of previous sin in their lives. I don't, I don't want to see, um, I, I want to see God's people live in freedom. And, and this layer of freedom comes in obedience to Jesus and what the Holy Spirit's saying. And so um, I, I, I'd be very honest with you. I wrestle with, the pre-Christian, he wasn't a Christian when he when he kind of just abandoned his wife at that time. I, I don't hope that doesn't sound too strongly, but he divorced her because he wanted to see some see what else was out there. He abandoned his wife, his commitment um, before he knew Christ, so the weight of marriage was not fully his. Uh, he didn't understand that, and so I wrestle with, well, this is a pre-Christ moment, and and I, I my 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 initial leaning is like, yeah, there's grace, like there's the old is new, the the the, the old is gone, the new is now here, and. Um, but I do think there is something about reconciliation that's important. Um, and, and so I, I would, at the end of the day, my very simple answer, not knowing context. Now I could speak more directly to, to the individual based upon having that conversation. But I think the biggest thing right now is to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit's saying. And, and if there is a sense and a, a lack of peace to move forward towards and pursue marriage, then you need to sit in that and not move forward towards marriage. Um, and you need to, to, to wrestle through Holy Spirit, what are you saying? And what, what's the right next step or next season for me? Um, because I would agree with you. 
being single is not a is not a stain or a scarlet letter on anybody in, in, in the world we live in. Being single is just as just as powerful and and right as being married and getting married. Um, you know, Paul was single and he he changed right. the the course of, of Christianity as we know it today. God used him to do so. Um so it wasn't him by his own accord, but it was was God's call in his life to do so. And and I remember I remember before I was married in ministry, uh, I I had more freedom to pursue ministry to do what I felt God was calling me to do when I got married. And I appreciate our pastor uh, because one of the things that he said I remember years ago was saying, if you get married and you're a pastor, you're essentially choosing to be less effective in ministry than you were if you weren't married. And it's not a knock; it's just a recognition of awareness. And so. Um, there is no bad path here. The, the only right path is obedience, but each path leads to righteousness. Each path leads to God's blessing and provision in your life. Like there, there's a very high value to that. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there is as heavy as this is and as big of a question as this is, there's so much more to it. And at the end of the day, we can't shortchange God on what God's plan has for us based upon our limited understanding or dare I say it this way, our selfish desire at times. And so we have to walk in obedience. And that would be my biggest encouragement, my biggest pastoral advice to any situation is what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? There's a lot in scripture. And sometimes that's not the easiest thing in the world to, to, to wrestle with or even have clarity on. Um, and so you got to trust the Holy Spirit who Jesus promises is your teacher. Um, Evan or Aaron are not your teachers as much as the Holy Spirit is. So um I know it's almost like a, a scapegoat kind of thing. Um, I know it's almost like a roundabout way to answer the question, but I think there is something significant about God. What are you saying? And right. give me wisdom. Give me an increased discernment um, to to walk out your call on my life, not not my friend's call, not my desire of a call, but your call, and and trust Him to provide everything that's needed to live a godly life like he promises he'll do. So yep. that's my that's my one thought. So to summarize and interject if there's anything I'm saying wrong here, but I would say that we both agree that based off of the information we have, Aaron and I both would feel that um, remarriage would be biblically allowed. Um, however, the two things we would counsel is really sit down, process this out with the pastor and really just talk through, talk through all of it. Yeah, I would be careful um, to say, man... Because I don't know the context, I can't say remarriage is biblically allowed. That's what I'm saying based off situation. the information we have. Yeah, but I'm saying even with that, I can't say yes because I don't have the full conversation. Gotcha. So I would say I would say remarriage is a possibility based upon further counsel. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like that's what I would say only because I don't know the full context. There's there's things I can imply or you know assume, but I'd rather have like this is actually what played out. After I left, this is what played out. And this is like, I did this, this, and this. Like I, th- there's there's layers to it that I would rather be able to speak more like definitively, remarriage is allowed if. Okay. Um, but that, that I mean, that may be a nuance, a semantic kind of thing, whatever splitting hairs. But I just, I want to be really cautious. At the end of the day, be be obedient to what God's calling you to. Yeah, and, and, those, and those are gonna be my second yeah. and third point is talk with a pastor, really yes. sit down and talk through this entire situation. And then third and honestly, most importantly is, is listen to what the Holy Spirit might be telling yeah. you in this. And so um, if you don't feel peace about getting remarried- Don't make a decision. Yeah. And that, and I would, I would say really pray, seek the Lord about it. Um, I think there's grace for yeah. past sins and we obviously both agree on yes, that. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so the real question here is what is the Lord leading you towards? What's the yeah. Lord asking you to do? So, And, and I'll, I'll say this as a final caveat. I welcome feedback. I welcome conversation because this is not a cut and dry one. 
Um, and I would say most of the conversations we have aren't as cut and dry. I think there's a lot of open, we always say open-handed stuff, right? Right. Um, and so I, I welcome feedback. I love the question. I think it's one that I've wrestled with for the better part of a week plus now. Um, cause we see them come in before we get a chance to put them in the podcast. And, uh, so I've wrestled with this for quite a bit now, just trying to like, God, what's the right answer. I want to be able to give counsel and wisdom. So, um, I welcome conversation. And so, uh, if you want to, if you want to follow up and we can continue a dialogue, you know, I'm more than willing to do that. So, um, uh, yeah, I, that, that would be the one caveat I would put in there. There you be. All right. Well, that was the longer episode, listeners. But hopefully hopefully you enjoyed it. And hopefully we were up. Uh, thank you so much for the question. It was yeah. obviously deep waters to wade into, but we love being able to. Um, those are the fun really, questions. Yeah, Let me just be honest with you. To so. really be able to talk to those yeah. things. Uh, but that does wrap it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. As a reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources and podcasts on our website, grove.church. And if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to financially contribute to the ministry that the Grove Church does. You can also do that on our website. There's a give button in the upper right hand corner. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.